Hello, and welcome to the Decision Intelligence Podcast with Cassie Kozarkov. Here's Analytics is Not Storytelling, read for you by the author. This episode is part one of two on the nature of analytics. For part two, check out the episode, What Makes an Analyst Excellent? Let's dive in. What happens in a typical Analytics 101 class? You usually learn the basics of some analytic software in R, Python, SQL, SAS, Data, MATLAB, BigQuery, Tableau, Excel, Looker, whatever. And you learn how to load data into that software and how to make visual summaries like histograms, pie charts, bar charts, scatter plots, etc. You can learn more about some of those in my article and episode, Understanding Data. But those things are as much analytics as art is paintbrushes. Art will survive past paint, and analytics will outlast spreadsheets. To see the nature of analytics without its typical window dressing while celebrating today's festivities, here comes a Halloween-flavored post for your amusement. First off, domain expertise is very important in analytics. Imagine that you've never celebrated Halloween before, but you've just been talked into attending a party tonight. You're the decision maker in charge of your costume decision, and I'll be your analyst. You're in good hands, because as an avid Halloweener, I'm oozing relevant domain knowledge. Domain expertise is extremely important for analysts. If I didn't have it, I'd better scramble to get it. Analysts who've never even heard of Halloween will be severely hampered in their ability to help you pick a costume. They'll probably snooze past all kinds of useful data because they won't know what they're looking at. It's a bad sign to see an analyst entering a new domain without immediately asking, where can I find a domain guru to talk to? That should be the first order of business. The next thing to know is that while analysts can tell stories, they're not storytellers. Contrary to popular belief, an analyst's function is not to tell stories or to persuade with data. That's called marketing, or perhaps journalism. There comes a time in every adult's life where we have to market our work so that our stakeholders value us and do what we want them to. But let's call that dark art what it is and talk about it in a different episode. Sure, good analysts know a lot about human attention and can manipulate their audience, but that's a byproduct of one career that opens doors to another. Being able to tell stories is a skill that analysts need to have, but their job is something else. Analytics is not marketing. The difference is that one is about expanding a decision maker's perspective, while the other is about narrowing it. To put it in Halloween terms, my job as an analyst is not to convince you to don a cockroach suit like the one I ran around in two years ago. I enjoy Halloween more than April Fool's Day and my birthday combined, so when it comes to costumes, I naturally have all kinds of opinions. I favor the nerdy. The more conceptual and the more obscure my outfit, the better. I only need one guffaw per year from a fellow weirdo to make the whole endeavor worthwhile. In previous years, my costumes included a Fortran punch card that prints Happy Halloween, a Sigma field with a LeBeg measure on it, and an attempt at recreating the original Rossum's Universal Robots outfit. However, this project is about your tastes, not mine. My role as an analyst isn't to manipulate you towards the conclusions I've already made. My opinion here isn't the point. Unless you prefer for me to just pick a costume for you, 
Then you can delegate decision-making to me, transforming me from analyst to decision-maker. In that case, let's get you suited up as a multi-armed bandit. All we need is a few pairs of long gloves, cotton wool, a toy pistol, and a bandana, and you're good to go. But as an analyst, I'm not supposed to sell you anything. I'm here to be your eyes and get you as much inspiration per minute as possible. It doesn't matter what kind of costume I favor for me, that this is about you, and the reason you need an analyst in the first place is that you don't have the time to go poking around in data, but you still want to be the one who calls the shots. If you don't want to call the shots, again, delegate the decision-making, make someone else the decision-maker, they'll tell you what to do. But if you want to be the decision-maker, a good analyst is a sensory extension for you, not a manipulator or marketer. In this Halloween scenario, I may have more domain expertise than you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll consent to my picking your costume for you. You hired me to open your eyes, not to decide on your behalf. You don't want to give up your power to choose, and it's my duty to respect that. That is what separates analytics from decision-making and marketing. If I took the marketing or storytelling approach, I'd be blinkering you and impoverishing your view of the possibility space. A good analyst does the opposite, exposing you quickly to a rich variety of perspectives. Ideally, I'll help you absorb all the information you'd look for if you were the one taking the time to roam around in the data, plus useful things you didn't even know you should ask to see. Now do remember that tools are just a means to an end. There's Halloween information out there, and it's the analyst's job to find it, examine it, and filter it for you. Then make it easy for you to absorb as much of the promising stuff as quickly as possible. Whether I use R, SQL, C++, a librarian, or a search engine to surface information, it's all analytics. If your idea of data is limited to spreadsheets and databases, you're not thinking broadly enough. You can find my musings on the nature of data and its relationship with the maxim, knowledge is power, in the episode, Understanding Data. One way you'll know that an analyst is excellent is that they go out of their way trying not to waste the decision maker's time. An expert analyst is serious about the virtue of speed. That goes beyond having quick fingers and looking things up. I have an infinity of options on how to slice and surface information for you, but your party is tonight. I'd be a daft analyst if I started bombarding you with inspiring, elaborate handmade costumes that you need to order several months in advance. We're on a timer here, and I've got to respect that. Before we get any further, I need to understand your relationship with the time-space continuum so that I have a sense of which costume stores you can physically get to. I should also ask about budget. I'd be wasting your time if I gave you too much information on outfits that cost an arm and a leg if your budget is a toenail. Now I might still show you one or two expensive options just in case these are the kind of unknown unknowns that might inspire you to reconsider your budget, but I'm not going to go all in on those options because I need to respect your time. Speed to inspiration is the name of the game here. And the more I know about the data and your tastes, the better I can help you absorb and understand what's possible so you can get inspired quickly. Knowing the nature of your event will help me skew my investigations towards what's most likely to be helpful. An indoor dance party is not a great place for spiky gear that can gouge out someone's eye, while an outdoor parade through the Arctic wastes limits your choices towards the warm and bulky. If you're heading to a work party, 
I'd probably avoid showing you costumes like sexy Bayesian posterior, complete with a bunch of heavy metallic Markov chains, despite having seen precisely this at a statistics gathering. We statisticians are an interesting bunch. It's worth repeating that as an analyst, I am not here to funnel you towards my opinion. I'm here to help you form your own. Unfortunately, if you don't give me much information to start with, I'm on my own. I could maybe produce a list of the three closest costume stores to your coordinates, plus their business hours, maybe that'll be useful. I could give you an indication of their relative prices using an index of a few items that I could find at all of them. I could tell you that a typical US Halloween store has everything you need to put together a full costume, except the shoes. I could also survey my friends and produce a pie chart by costume color, so you know what you'd have to pick to blend in or stand out at a gathering with my friends which might be completely irrelevant to the event you're actually headed to if your friends aren't like mine. Or maybe I could try to find information on how expensive Halloweening is and how long it takes to make your own costume versus buy one. I might be tempted to make better versions of some charts I found online that suggest that most people spend fewer than three hours and less than 50 bucks making their costumes. Those charts are not only really ugly, but also based on 1,000 mysterious Americans who may or may not have been expert costume makers. The lesson there is do be careful with data whose origins you know nothing about. Personally, that information about three hours and 50 bucks is gonna go in one ear and out the other. Doesn't seem super trustworthy. Other things I could do. Try to inspire you with a list of categories and exemplars like classic monsters, vampire, Animals, Tiger, Professions, Astronaut, People, Joan of Arc, Cartoon Characters, Bender from Futurama, Concepts, Sigma Field, Artwork, Monks, Scream, Food, Carrot, Myths, Icarus, Objects, Punch Card, and so on. I could also look up the most popular keywords accompanying the search term Halloween on Google Trends to see what the dominant categories are. Some kind souls have already done this for us, producing the following list. 1. Fortnite. 2. Spider-Man. 3. Harley Quinn. 4. Wonder Woman. 5. Black Panther. 6. Deadpool. 7. Harry Potter. 8. Catwoman. 9. Pennywise. and 10. Kim Kardashian. What? Harry Potter is still a top 10 costume? What year is it? Now that list is from 2019. Pop culture is king, apparently. No king of mine, though. I could go a step further and produce a list like this for your area. I could plot the relative popularities of these terms for your area versus maybe the globe, but time is limited and this is probably not what you care about. It's only worth doing if fine-grained popularity information is likely to help you somehow. In broad strokes though, the list above is probably enough for a Halloween newbie to form the impression that a lot of people search for pop culture costumes. I seriously doubt that you'll have additional epiphanies pursuing that line of inquiry to exhaustion, so I won't go there either. And I'll certainly not start doing complicated statistical inference stuff if I'm not even sure that more information in that direction is worth anything for you. Now at this point in the game, I've seen newbie analysts panic. They're poking around in the data and not finding anything that looks like an obvious gem. Oh dear. Maybe no one will notice if you start plotting the data every which way as beautifully as possible. Maybe with animations, too. Newbies, take a deep breath. In, out, then move along. 
Don't polish a piece of rubbish. It's a waste of... Exactly. Getting back to the task at hand, I could try to look for obscure costumes and compile a list of those for inspiration. If you like weird and you want even more weird, you could look to some AI-generated costume suggestions, such as these, courtesy of AIWeirdness.com. Sexy Beta Marks, Cat Witch, King Dog, Bucketball Player, Dragon Ninja, Baseball Clown, Death Eater, Slick Mermaid, Vampire Chick Shark, and Centaur Meiji. And these are even more fun with the accompanying illustrations. I love AIWeirdness.com. That's a website worth wasting a bit of time on. Though, speaking of time, let's get back on track. If I thought you were aiming to pay as little as possible, I could look up the cheapest ready-made costumes. Poking around online retailers tells me that you can get a cloak and a mask for under $10, so maybe these same items would be good bets to take a look at in your brick-and-mortar store. You could also find beaten-up clothes at a vintage store plus cheap eyeshadow and red lipstick, or maybe cornstarch plus red food dye for a zombie DIY operation. I might also want to warn you if your country isn't one of the top celebrating nations. Unless you're celebrating in the United States, Ireland, Canada, United Kingdom, Mexico, Sweden, Austria, Belgium, Germany, or the Netherlands, you might attract strange looks on your way to the party. Personally, I wear my weird proudly, but others might like to consider a coat. And if you're a decision maker that doesn't know what the hell Halloween is, as an analyst, I should probably give you a heads up on that. It's not unusual for an analyst to start veering off track, this year's Halloween, towards miscellaneous flashes of curiosity, such as, when do people start searching for Halloween costume information online? The answer to that is, activity starts to tick up slowly after mid-June, and then really starts to ramp up from October 6th up until Halloween itself. Not very useful for your costume this year, but I visualized it in, hey, look, a squirrel! Hopefully, you're beginning to see that domain expertise is important, but without knowing my decision-maker's business, it's really hard to guess what kind of information to surface. I'll spend a lot of time running about in all kinds of different directions, trying to guess what you'd like to know. Unfortunately, when a student takes analytics courses, a key component, the relationship with the decision-maker, is usually missing. It's easier to teach data journalism, so that might be what you learned if you took one of those courses. That's where the storytelling emphasis comes in. The best examples of data journalism are storytelling. And by their nature, online examples are made for the masses, so it's easy to get a skewed impression of the real work. Data journalism is not about helping specific individuals get the data they need. It's about presenting information with mass appeal. In fact, it's the polar opposite of the tailor-made helpfulness that an analyst can bring to a project. Don't get me wrong, there's something beautiful about a successful one-size-fits-all story. The kind that goes viral and enlightens many people a little bit. But unless it's completely earth-shattering news, it'll only change your decision-maker's life a tiny amount. It's a consolation prize compared with what a skilled analyst can provide. Inspiration that enables a quantum leap for your leader and your business. It's tricky to drive inspiration when you know nothing about the decision maker or what their challenges and priorities are. You end up trying to engage in one-size-fits-all journalism, compensating with pretty plots and storytelling. This doesn't fix the underlying problem. 
Analytics has so much more opportunity to add value when it's iterative, a conversation between analyst and decision maker. We'll look at the iterative analytics workflow in an upcoming episode. I'm Cassie Kozarkov, and this was Analytics is Not Storytelling, read for you by the author. If you had fun here, do share this with a friend. Happy Halloween, everyone, and I'll catch you next time on the Decision Intelligence Podcast.